We have a special visitor with us this morning. Jaden Flickema is now a Marine of the United States. So it's good to have you here, Jaden. I feel a, a brotherhood with you as I too have received my Climbers Award in Awana. So I feel like, you know, I'm teasing. Quite an accomplishment. It's good to have you here, my friend. We, we're praying for you, and it's good to see you got a good Baptist haircut there. And, uh, but uh, we are thrilled to have you home. If you have your copies of God's Word, this is where we're going to be, and we're going to continue to walk through this together. And we're going to pick up in verse 25. So here we go. Paul is talking to the elders in Ephesus as he has some dead time. Hopefully that brings back a little, little bit of context. And as he's talked to them, he says, Now behold, I want you to know, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, that we'll, you will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel, the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves, elders, and for the flock, amongst which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise. From, from elders, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be an alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years when I was in Ephesus with you, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God in the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted your silver, your gold, or your clothes. You yourselves know that these hands worked hard and ministered um, to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, that he himself said it is more blessed to give than receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly embraced and kissed one another, grieving especially over the words which he had said that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. And some of your translations may say, and they had to tear themselves away from one another. With that being said, let's go to the word of God. And have a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. Father, in you, we take refuge. Because of that, we are never ashamed. It is your righteousness that delivers us and rescues us. Father, we ask that your ear would hear our prayer. You are the rock in which we live. You have given the commandments to save our souls. For you are our rock and our fortress. Father, rescue us out of the hand of the wicked. O oh Lord God, you are our confidence. You are our sustainment. It is you who took us from our mother's womb. And we praise you. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit be our teacher this morning. 
Father, if I boast in anything this morning, may I boast in you. I am not worthy to teach your word. You are. Father, give me clear thoughts, understanding, help me to remember my studies, but above all else, may these people see you clear, know you more, and love you. And I pray this, Father, and I ask this in your Son's precious and holy name, we pray. And if you're awake this morning, say amen. Amen. Leadership is everything. He's talking to leaders. Leadership is everything to an organization. It can preserve it, it can protect it, it can promote its growth, or it can suffocate damage and bleed its people out. I have sat under leadership where I disliked what I was doing, but I loved who I was doing it for, and it made it very, very enjoyable. Then there are times when I loved what I was doing, but the leadership was so suffocating and burdensome that it emptied the joy out of doing it. The same is true for the church. Save Jesus Christ, leadership is exceptionally vital to the church. And frankly, those who are good leaders are not those who try to control everything around them. Good leaders do not try to control everything around them. Or is good leadership trying to get everyone in line to their satisfaction? Good leadership is not how much control one can keep. Good leadership is about example, influence, direction, and sacrifice. And before someone can be a good leader, he must first understand that the one who needs leadership most of all, amongst all the people in the church, the one who needs leadership the most is the elder himself. i got to be honest with you, I can't tell you how many times I feel absolutely inadequate to stand here. It is above, far above my abilities. And more than that, I can't tell you how many times I feel as though I have failed you. I was in the Arizona uh, airport this week. In fact, one week ago today, when you were having services, I was down in the belly of the Grand Canyon being attacked by California condors, so it's good to be back with friends today. But as we were coming out of that and we were coming home, we were sitting in the airport and I sat next to a guy at the airport and he said, hey, aren't you from Trinity Baptist Church in Grand Rapids? I had no idea my (laughs) reputation. It was a leader of a camp. And I said, yeah, yeah. He says, listen, I hear that. There's some really good things coming out of there. And, and he said, and, and let's see, where am I in my notes? Good things coming out of here. And, and then he looked at me right in the eye and he said, isn't that where Brett Boomsma is the pastor at? <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah. I, did, I didn't let him off the hook. I said, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that is where he's at. And... Uh, he didn't know that I was, I was him and all the fun I could have with that. He said, tell me a little bit about him. And I thought, oh. <laughs> Once you get past his stunning good looks. No. The funny thing is, he thought I was Pastor Jory. Which I find insulting. All right. And uh, so I said, actually, I I am he. Doesn't that sound biblical? I am he. (laughs) And he said, I'm so embarrassed. I said, don't be. I do this every Sunday. How many here can attest? I call people by their wrong name. Anyone at all? 
Put your hand down, Jeff, all right? His name is Eric the other day. I was talking to him during the service, called him Jeff. He didn't look at me, still his fault, all right? Now, I said, don't, I do that every week. He said, well, tell me about yourself. I said, I am a man who knows failure more than success. I am a man that manages broken people of which I am one. I am a man who manages messy people who is messy himself. And I am a man who leads people and is in desperate need of leadership himself. My friends, I cannot give you that which I am not receiving. I cannot give you that which I am not receiving. But in addition to this, good leadership recognizes that, that the danger he is protecting his, his flock or his people or his church from, the danger he is protecting them from comes from within him as much as it comes from without him. Let me say that again. The danger that I must protect you from, it comes from within me as much as it comes from without me. Paul's going to look at the elders of this church in Miletus on the shores there as he talks to them. And he says, you must protect the people not only from the wolves inside of the church, not only uh, the wolves that are outside of the church, but hear me, my friends. He says, you need to protect the church from the wolves inside of your own hearts. Protecting the church starts with the leaders protecting the church from themselves, from the leaders themselves. My friends, my heart potentially is far more dangerous to you inside these walls than any activist outside these walls. And it is my heart's desire never to hurt you. So what we will look at today is primarily being taught to me and to the elders, but Truth of the matter is, the peripheral splash of this context will fall all over us as well. It is a responsibility to you as well, but I will be speaking to myself here. So while the application will fall to all of us because the, all of the qualifications of the elders are, are found here, it's important to understand the precepts of the qualifications to the elders are, are things that every single one of us should be pursuing. It's not like Paul saying, hey, I'm going to talk to you elders and the rest of the church can just do whatever you want. I remember one time I was talking to an individual and he was talking about how sometimes he would like to maybe manipulate the church in order to gain something like this. And I, I looked at him and I said, but don't you think that's a little self-serving or just maybe come across a little bit greedy? And he, and he looked at me and he said, well, you're the elder, not me. That qualification is for you, not for me. My friends, what we're about to hear is for all of us. And so I will preach it to myself first and you can just listen in as well. Because I have said this before and I will say it again. I can either be the greatest blessing to this church or I can be the greatest danger to it. So Paul looks at the elders. He says, protect the flock from yourself. Protect the flock from those who are inside of it and those who are outside of it. So let's start with my heart and your heart. But we'll start with my heart. The first thing a godly leader must do to guard the people that he has been entrusted with is, is this. Be on guard for yourselves. Be on guard for yourselves. Another way to say this is pay careful attention to your own heart first. Don't skip it. Both practical and a biblical truth here is that we often smell ourselves last. We often smell ourselves last. If I could parallel a teaching, the, the speck in our eye versus the plank, or the plank in our eye versus the speck in someone else's. Here's a question for you. You ever sit next to someone who just has a certain funk and they don't know it? 
You ever sit next to someone and you're like, good Lord, what is that? And, and they often will say the same thing. What is that smell? And you're like, I'm pretty certain it's you, all right? But you can't say that because as Christians, we are graceful. There are times when Amy will hug me and say, oh, you took a shower. As though it's a surprise. And I say, well, why do you say that? Did I smell in in her grace? She says, let's just say you smell better now. And I say, let's remember who the head of the home is here. All right? No. Why do I say this? Leaders often don't smell themselves. Leaders oftentimes don't smell themselves, or at least they smell themselves last. It was Lewis, yes, Lewis who said this, and I love this. A true Christian, I love this. A true Christian's nostrils is to be continually attentive to his own inner cesspool. That's exactly how I would have said it. I love the way he speaks. Personal holiness is a requirement of a true and effective spiritual leader. And my friends, one of the things people need to see from a spiritual leader is not perfection because i got to tell you i can't deliver it it is not perfection but a spirit of self-awareness let me say this another way blessed are those who smell themselves first blessed are those who recognize their own sin and repent and desire to be like christ christian leaders cannot care for others and they cannot protect others if they do not if they neglect the care and and nurture of their own heart first timothy chapter 4 verse 16 says this clear watch your life and your doctrine closely smell yourselves elders persevere in them because if you do you will save both yourselves and those who are listening to you How many here have ever had to do this at work or at play or at school? Anyone here ever had to do this? That right there. Anyone at all? How many times have you ever noticed that it was you and you had to keep your arms down the rest of the time you were with people and you just went into like terror? What what dinosaur is this? T-Rex. You had to go into T-Rex mode and everything had to just stay right here because you realized you were not going to be a blessing to those group of people. By the way, we need more of this in the church. We need more of this in leadership. And frankly, you need it most from me. You need it most from me that I would check my own heart first. So to you and my Lord, I want you to know I'm sorry that I sometimes stink. I'm sorry that it's me who brings things to the table. And I want you to know it is the commitment of my heart to make sure that I'm smelling myself first so that when I must address others, I can do so as an example, broken as it may be, an example rather than a dictator. After a godly leader protects his flock from himself, he must protect the flock from those who would attack it from the outside. We see this in the words, savage wolves will come in among you. These are people who are outside of the church who will bring heresies and cults and worldly thoughts. But the primary emphasis on savage wolves is the false teaching that they bring with them. We see this in the words, speaking perverse things. Now, before we define what it means to speak perverse things, we must see that not only do perverse things come from false teachers outside of the church, 
But these false wolves teach falsely uh, are inside the church as well. In fact, you see that in the words, from among your own selves, men will rise. So you have it from your own heart, you have it outside the church, and you have it inside the church. And I'm going to go a little bit further than just inside the church. I'm going to go inside the elder board itself. In fact, in Ephesians, Paul is going to rebuke a couple men who were likely listening to the sermon because they have been teaching falsely. So the godly leader must first protect the flock from his own selfish desire and then from inside the church and outside the church because the primary enemy that Satan will levy upon the church is a false teacher. Now we must be clear, false teachers are those, by the way, who will not outright deny spiritual truth. They won't just outright deny it, but rather they will mix the truth of scriptures with error in such a way as to pervert it. In fact, the word pervert here literally means to twist the truth, to distort the truth, to bring the truth where it never meant to go, or shy of where it is supposed to go. In order to do this, and by the way, they do this so that they can draw away disciples after them. They want to draw a following. Now, a good shepherd must be able to distinguish between essential and core doctrines where there can be no tolerance and there can, there can be no flexibility, and he must be able to determine between essential core doctrines, all right, and from those that, that are not core doctrines and can be flexible, One of the core truths that you find right here in Scripture is he purchased the church with his own blood. That is a core doctrine that cannot be negotiated with. Other core doctrines are the inspiration of Scriptures or or, 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 or the Trinity, the triune nature of our God, or here it is, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through him alone, the only door. It is by faith through grace, repentance, that we are saved. Those are things that cannot and will not and shall not be compromised in the church of Christ. Amen? But there's other things that we can hold on to just a little bit more loosely. Other areas of doctrines can be a little more flexible, i.e. eschatology or, or gifts of the Spirit, or here's one church polity. These things are worthy of debate, but they are not worthy of division. Here's a loving exhortation. If I could give it to myself first and if it bounces off me and sticks to you because I'm rubber and you're glue, that's not in my notes. I don't know why I said that. But I'm going to say it to myself and if the echo hits you, maybe it'll hit you as well. Don't make every personal position a core tenet of doctrine. Baptist, do you hear that? Brett, do you hear that? Don't make every personal conviction or position a core tenet because here it is, they are not. Nothing damages the church more than the need to be perfectly right on every arm of every tentacle, of every branch, of every section of systematic theology. I'm just going to say this very clearly. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the, and the position of a guardian angel do not hold equal value. Amen? This is not the same. Years ago, there was a person who was upset at children's ministries. This is years and years and years ago for, on the curriculum because it stated that Noah must have hit his thumb many times while building the ark. Anathema. 
And some individual in the church said that such a claim was an extra-biblical teaching because the Bible never says that Noah hit his thumb with a hammer. Now, how, how, how many here have ever swung a hammer enough times to know that's just inevitability? Anyone else at all? How many here says you only have to swing it once, all right? And to teach that Noah hit his thumb with a hammer. You ready for this? Pervert, distort, twist. Is to deny the inspiration of the scriptures. Now, then came out the old predictable Trump card. It's election week. I thought I'd say the word Trump, all right? (laughs) Outcomes. Because nothing brings unity. Let's move forward, all right? Out comes the predictable trump card that people like to use on flexible or discernible issues. Do you know what kind of ripples this sends through the entire interpretation of the Bible? I'm like, Noah hitting his thumb? No, I do not. And they began drumming up support on the inspiration of the scriptures over a a hit thumb. And I finally had to go to them and say, hey, this is enough. You got to let this go. You are perverting the inspiration of the scriptures and causing division because you don't like a discernible peripheral thing. Now this is a light issue. We can kind of smile at this. But it also happens in larger issues. Someone may have a differing view of the millennial kingdom without being a heretic going to hell. They could have a different view on, a millennial, on the millennial kingdom. However, if they twist that in such a way that says Christ has already returned and he's not coming again in the future, then we have crossed from a flexible issue into a core doctrine. When this is all added up, here it is. I want you to grab this. This is big. False teachers will use Scripture to gain a following in order to further their own love of self and value. That's how you can smell a wolf. The false leader, by the way, will often be fixated on single issues. They will have tunnel visions. He or she will will be a hammer that everywhere they look sees nails to hit. And they will use that issue as a tool to create a following that needs him or her to champion it. False teachers distort the truth of the Bible in order to gain personal status. In order to gain personal status. Here's the point. A godly elder must have a handle on biblical and theological issues in such a way that he can can protect the essential truth and and spot false teachers who are trying to gather a following and warn the flock of that behavior. And then Paul transitions here and he goes, I want you to know I am not one of these people. Paul is going to differentiate himself from a wolf here. And he is going to use himself in order to do that. Now, as you read through this, it could almost come across as braggadocious. But, but I want you to hear this. It's not when he's trying to use his life as an example. It's okay for a shepherd to use his life as an, a positive example, just not a terrible failure of an example. Can I get a witness on that at all? Paul's going to just say, hey, listen, I am not like this. And he's going to unpack why. Paul says here, I have never served you for personal gain or advantage. He says here, right here, I have never coveted your, your there it is, your, your silver. I've never coveted your clothes. I've never coveted your clothes. If I could just categorize this, your wealth, your, your, your money, and your possessions. I never went after it. I didn't love your money. 
By the way, he says, nor did I try to use you to gain a standing. He says this, and everything I showed you by working really hard in a manner that would help the weak. Even though Paul had every right to receive financial support there in his ministry, and by the way, sometimes he did receive financial support. We find that in 2 Corinthians, Philippians 4. Here's the point. It wasn't his goal. It was not his goal. That is the emphasis here. This passage is not that a pastor should not be paid. Let me repeat that. In a way that brings you honor and glory. All right? No, I'm teasing. This is not about that a pastor should not be paid. In fact, Paul teaches in Scripture that, that a, a, a pastor who teaches should receive double honor for leading the church. That word honor is compensation. That's found in, I think right here, 2 Timothy five seventeen through 25. So what we have here is that Paul is telling us what the heart of the leader should be. A true Christian leader should not be in it for the money, nor use his position to increase his own standing. And here is why. Because coveting other people's money, i.e. silver, gold, and clothes, or not being a hard worker and being lazy, i.e. working hard in this manner, spoils the relationship and hinders the work of the gospel. Nothing hurts the relationship between an elder or a pastor and the people more than when he is lazy and is using ministry for personal advancement and gain. You are not leverage for me. Nor should I ever use you that way. I have hesitated in telling you this for many years because I did not want it to come across self-serving. If you heard that statement, please raise your hand. Hi. Okay. 12% of you. I've hesitated in telling you this because I don't want it to come across as self-serving. In fact, I, I brought it to all the pastors and I said, tell me what to do with this. And they, they gave me the green light. But since Paul is using himself as an example here about how he's not being a wolf I want to provide the same applicable thing because that's where the text is at. And I'm going to tell you this only for the sole purpose of building relationship with you in trust. It has been Amy and I's goal commitment since we've been here at Trinity for the last 16 years to never ask this church for money. It has been our goal and commitment never to ask this church for a raise. And it has been our goal and commitment, and you do not know this, but in the spirit of this text, that there has been multiple times that we have refused our raise and asked that it go to missions or other ministries or people who are in need. I also want you to know that I am never out of the office during the week unless, of course, I inform the church, the staff, and all of the pastors where I am, why I'm there, and for what purpose I am not there in the office. By the way, I do not have a boat called visitation. How many here remember that old joke, all right? It still preaches. I do not use my freedom to do three rounds of golf, two rounds of golf, or one round of golf. I don't even use my freedom to think about golf. And I do not accept any offers from other ministries that pull me away from you in the preparation of God's word. Now let me be clear. It's not because I don't enjoy free time. I do. 
I enjoy free time. And by the way, it's not because I don't enjoy money. I do enjoy money. How many here can be honest? Money can be fun. Anyone at all? Absolutely not. I want you to know that. You know, I want you to know I don't love money. That's never been a problem that I have. You put money in front of me, I'm not going to steal it. it. It's paper to me. However, to be honest with you, I do enjoy it. I've never said, oh, nuts, not another financial gift. What am I supposed to do with this? Buy something I want that I wouldn't normally get? Just another headache for me. You know, why can't people just get me another book, maybe on how to pronounce biblical names from the pulpit? (laughs) I threw it there two weeks ago. I don't know how it got back here. And I want you to know that I am not bitter about it. Here's why I tell you that, and I hope you heard it for the right way. I must value God and you more than your money. I must value you more than what you can give to me. In fact, a spiritual leader must remember, and I love this, because these words we're about to hear are being spoken to spiritual leadership, the elders of the church. Now, we quote these words all the time, and oftentimes we forget the context of which they are said. This is literally being spoken to the elders of the church, and, and, and he says this, Paul says this, remember the words of our Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, here's a fun fact that's coming down. These are the only recorded words of Jesus outside of the Gospels while he was on earth. Isn't that cool? How many of you have ever read the Gospels and go, I wonder what else Jesus said? Here's one, and it's the only one outside of the Gospels. And it's being spoken to spiritual leadership. Now, please know, it splashes all over us. I want to encourage you to do something if you are able. One thing that Amy and I have committed in our heart, and I want you to hear my heart here, is within our family budget, we have created an agape fund. An agape fund. Agape fund is money that we set aside every paycheck, above and beyond our giving to the Lord and His church, that can be used to encourage those who are in need, those who are lacking, those who are poor, those who have a gap that they can't reach. Now you may say, this sounds like you're being a little bit braggadocious. I want you to hear this. Forgive me, that is not my intent. I just want you to know, hopefully, hopefully, like Paul, who I am so far away from, I do not covet your gold. I do not covet your silver. And I do not covet your clothes. It is our desire not to be lazy and that Amy and I love you more than we love our money. And it is our desire never to use you for our own gain. But this is not where protecting the flock ends, and we're almost done here. There is also a heart in which it must be done. Look at what he says here. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Here's the first thing we need to grab here. A godly pastor leader must always give his flock to God. He must always give his flock to God. I need you to hear this. You are not mine. I say this all the time, but I'm going to say it until I am no longer with you. You are not mine. This is not my church. It's not my kingdom. It's not my glory. It's not my direction. You belong to him, not me. You are God's. 
It's his. Oh, and by the way, by the way, I have to do so in a graceful manner. Look at the words here. In the words of his grace, a shepherd must hear it as guard his flock with a balance of firmness towards wolves and tenderness towards the sheep. There are times, whereas they may be, when a good shepherd, out of love for his flock, must speak firmly, must speak without mumbling his words. Speaking firmly does not mean that a pastor is somehow acting unbecoming of a pastor. In some cases, when it results to wolves within the flock, speaking firmly is conduct becoming of a pastor. And it is right and just to do so. But he must always speak tenderly to the sheep, to the flock, of which I want you to hear this. I am one. I am one. I read about a church the other day who had dismissed their pastor and gotten a new one. And someone was visiting the church and they, they looked and they said, they listened to the guy preach and they, they looked over to their friend and they said, why did you get rid of your old pastor? Why did you run him out? And the person said, well, he just kept telling people in the church that all of them were going to hell. Which, by the way, is a way for us to increase parking here at Trinity, all right? <laughs> All he did was tell people they were going to hell. And the visitor said, well, what does your new pastor preach about? Oh, he keeps telling people that they're going to hell too. Well, then what's the difference? Why would you get rid of one and like the other? He said, oh, that's easy. The difference is that when the first one said it, he sounded like he was happy about it. When the second one says it, you can tell it's breaking his heart. So with all this being said, the shepherd's main task and the elders is to ensure that the sheep are fed and protected. For when a shepherd sleeps, either spiritually or through theological negligence, the wolves gain access to the pasture. My friends, the greatest offense against wolves that want to draw sheep away from the flock is to make sure the flock is so stuffed full of doctrine and theological food and biblical example being living out that not only are they not interested in eating false teaching, but they can spot those empty calories a mile away. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, the decline of godliness in the church is directly linked to its departure from sound doctrine. My friends, we cannot live right if we do not know right. Godliness and doctrine cannot be separated. My friends, it is my goal to protect you from the wolves. Especially this wolf. Then false teachers outside these walls. And then those who are in our own midst. This is where I must live. This is where I must live. I love you guys. 
And I hope that you are full of eating from God's word. For it is profitable and good. Not just for our heads, but our hearts and our hands. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reflection that I see in it. That I might smell myself first. Father, protect these people. These are your sheep. May we remember essential doctrine, such as the shedding of your blood that purchased this church. And Father, we remember it now with this cup and this bread.